You're listening to the Zoe Turner Podcast, business and mindset conversations that will help you move from fear and uncertainty to development and growth so that you can crush both life and business. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. Conflict in Syria has left more than 380,000 people dead. It's devastated cities and it's drawn in other countries. Half of Syria's population pre-March 2011 of 22 million have fled their homes. Some 6.7 million are internally displaced. Many of them are living in camps, while another 5.6 million are registered as refugees abroad. As well as causing hundreds of thousands of deaths, more than 2.1 million civilians have suffered injuries or permanent disabilities due to the conflict. Today, I'm speaking firsthand to someone who has experienced the difficulties in Syria. He's here with me today on the podcast to share his own story, his own experiences, and to highlight the impact of what is happening right now in his country, his people, and on his future generations. Welcome to the podcast today, Khaled Bakora. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. What were you doing? What was your life like a few years before 2011, before everything started, all the conflict and the war started? All right. So I was a young guy, supposedly living my best (laughs) time there i mean the the time period there i was around um 20 20 between 20 and 24 before the things started and uh, i was studying working and dreaming about of course getting better and better in every aspect i was living uh, in a town near the capital damascus around 20 kilometers and I was involved in many different things, art, uh, music, uh, as a viewer and listener. Of so you say you were living your best life, you were at university. Yes, uh, supposedly, don't forget supposedly, because it was, I mean, for that community and that time, it was, uh, for me personally, it was good. I was doing a lot of different things at the same time, but unfortunately, I was planning um long time ago before the war that i want to go out because of the economical situation because i knew in general that i'm not gonna be able to achieve a lot like the maximum i can have is just normal good job or and it was not that easy what was life like in syria pre-2011 it was quiet. Uh, we have a beautiful nature, and um, but again, the economy was bad due to some um, um, political problem with the U.S. Um, economically, I'm speaking. And then um, the situation for the average family was not so easy. Uh, it's vibrant, a lot of different religions, a lot of different uh, cultures, but it was very quiet and simple. It had a very rich cultural heritage. Yes. Beautiful old buildings which have been like destroyed by the bombs and, and yes, the war. yes, unfortunately, yes. Okay, so then it all started. It all started in March two thousand and eleven. Was there any specific event that signified to you that 
things had changed or did it happen gradually? Can you describe to us what it was like and, and how, how it progressed, how life progressed as the conflict and the war went on? Yes, actually, um, one year before, you can smell it between the people in general. That, as I told you, the economy uh, is just getting way down and the people are feeling more tight in general. So there was a lot of uh, talking uh, between families, like we can't, you know, uh, handle it anymore. But the events, the actual events uh, started in other Arab countries just around six months before started in Syria. So from that point, I knew and every maybe Syrian that something is going to hit Syria because it was like a wave and it was coming from country to to country very, very fast. So from that moment, you can say the end of 2012, uh, sorry, the end of 2010, uh, we started feeling it uh, very, very... Can you remember... The first bomb that you heard. Um, I yeah yeah definitely. You, to yeah. describe to me like where were you when was that and and what happened? Yeah, I was in in my city. Um, the things got really really fast. Um, we were at home and um, we were used to some soft uh, sounds, you know, like uh, bullets and some. Uh, gas bombs uh, but that was it but suddenly overnight uh, like the second day it was very very early we the the whole city actually the whole town heard a very very shocking big um, um, sound and they they were expecting it but not like you know like now or tomorrow or after it was like something it might happen but um, suddenly, as I told you, overnight, it was very, very big uh, bomb. And we didn't know, of course, what was the, uh, the size or the, the kind of this bomb. Could be from airplane, could be from uh, artillery or any other thing. But it was very big that people started to panic more, that things are going to be more bad. So it was early in the morning. Uh, fortunately, it was far away from our place, but the whole city was kind of uh, shaking because it was very early. And later on, we, we got to know that uh, some two, three buildings, I mean, after two, three hours, of course, people ran into the place and they got to know that it's a big bomb, something like a barrel, and uh, the whole building is completely destroyed with, you know, dead people, children, uh, women. They're just, they were buried, you know, under the, under that destroyed building. And from that time to six, seven years more in my city, it was daily. Like literally daily. From that, it was just very normal, and people starting to adapt to this. And we, a lot of details, as I mentioned uh, to you, um, you know, people living in basements, and uh, but most, most shockingly, that people were not, um, of course, ready at all for this. 
mentally even though they were expecting it but but once it's actually happening you know the mom losing her children in like a microsecond and and it was very shocking because the amount of destruction you know just it's immediate destruction massive destruction you're not talking about destroying uh, a glass or window or some doors or old cars you're talking about full buildings three four floors families inside and and the tragic uh, tragedy just went more and more and more so explain to me why people have to live in a basement because i understand there's certain things that you have to do to be able to survive the war going on in syria one of them is is living within a basement explain to me you know why that is um actually it's uh it's simple because they're just trying to avoid avoid the bomb bombing which is uh which was very very regular as i told you and uh some people or some uh institutes they were counting how many uh bomb per day for example mm-hmm. so it's between 200 to 300 only in this town imagine it was like uh, insane and if you don't have a basement i've Figure that it's you, hard. You would live on the ground floor, right? Because the bomb is initially, it's going to get those lower, you know, the, the smaller bombs are, are going to get the the, fir- the higher first few floors, yeah? So if you're on the ground floor, you're going to be safer. It's not the case, actually, because the source is different all the time. Sometimes it's from air, uh, airstrikes. Sometimes it's from uh, big cannons around mm-hmm. the city. Sometimes it's... Uh, from tanks so only basement can reduce the surviving you know Mm. um, situation but not uh, it's not gonna protect you very much but um, you know um, people can survive in the basement but mentally they will go crazy of course after a lot of uh, spending a lot of time and it's not healthy at all when we talk about time how long were people actually spending some people lived uh, for like six years uh, sometimes more my my family my direct family lived there for around six years so when the bombing started yeah. Were your family actually going out? Were they going outside? It was, yeah, yeah, definitely, because they were, it was all a mess, you know, it was chaos. So, so once they were going outside the basement? Uh, yes, because mm-hmm. because after all, they need to bring some uh, food, supplies. They, yeah, supplies, they, they will risk it. And uh, there was a um, fight between, you know, the husband and wife all the time, all the families, like, go out no please don't go out bring this bring that the kid is sick uh, we need medicine or for example we need to check on other relatives for example my father used to uh, go out to check on his brothers or sisters that are very old and they are sick already before the war so uh, this movement of communication uh, caused more casualties because people had to move out and of course, they tried every way possible from, you know, moving at night, uh, um, trying not to make, you know, the big uh, movement using vehicles or something, because it was all about anything moving in the city. It's It was going to get a bomb. It's, it was something like this. And it got, it got more um, complicated uh, year after year by other parties getting involved in in the war so we were not able to determine for example who is bombing and what they are using 
So the, the regular people like my family and other families, they were just receiving bombs and all kind of horrific things that are just destroying and killing people and even uh, killing animals and uh, farms and yeah. So the, the, the answer to you about basement is actually it's a good place to survive huge bombs because even if the, f the whole building got destroyed, they have uh, some chance to still, you know, be able to go out. But if, if the ground floor, it will be worse, for example, because they it, uh, the other floors will collapse on them, the people who are living in the ground floor. So the basement was, and the basement mainly was designed for war. You know, historically, if you go back 40, 50 years with the war with other, you know, surrounded countries and everything, that's why you see some of... Um, the Middle East countries, it's it's in the structure of the building that you will have a basement for surviving. So that helped. But the problem is uh, that maybe 50% of the buildings, they, they don't have any basement. So people had to build one or um, dig underground or uh, pe some people were hiding in graves and they, they, you know, they were just digging graves, empty graves and because they were not thinking that, okay, somebody will bomb the dead people. And that's, <laughs> unfortunately, it's very ironic. Also, the, the a lot of cemeteries wow, got bombed. that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So people were digging up cemeteries. Yes. And they were actually... Hiding in it. Hiding yeah. in that. In other cities, uh, not my city, because it depends on the uh geography you know if if some towns in the mountains they're living in the caves until now in the north now in syria in 2021 there are people living in a cave until now so how did your family survive how did you survive in terms of eating food it was really horrible like you can't believe the small details uh there was a siege a huge siege on mm -hmm. the town and the city and um everything was going bad very fast slowly slowly um fortunately my father was having a grocery so once the we had some goods so that played a very big role of surviving that was his job before the war started yeah he, he, had, a, a he had a grocery shop yeah. so you had supplies right yes yes okay. which created a problem by the way because you know like if some family has some supplies and others they don't and he has to go distribute to other family members or anything, the moving, the um, it's it was a problem. That would place him at risk. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess when the war started, you stopped selling those supplies, right? Or did you? There was no, actually. But you were just keeping them for you, the yourselves and your family. The government went out from the city, so there was no control in that city from mm -hmm. the government. So everything was completely different in like one week. Nobody will buy from anybody. You know, the currency doesn't mean anything now. There's no internet, no phones, nothing at all. So everything was pretty much uh, random and uh, very simple. Like you can give two chicken and you can get some, um, I don't know, yogurt or milk or whatever. So it was not selling at all, not from my family or other families. Because this is a war situation and everybody is trying to help everybody. How long did your supplies last? Um, I guess around four months max. What happened when they ran out? 
uh, people starting to it's it's a cycle actually it's like a roller coaster because some some people from this city or other cities they were able to smuggle some bread or vegetables from the nearby cities that they were like safe with they didn't have war so there was a lot of trade in that and they were taking advantage the the other people you know uh, selling in a huge prices and so people started to um, in my city for example to sell things to get mm -hmm. these expensive uh, bananas for example <laughs> banana was uh, something like a diamond and mm -hmm. some uh, someday what else were they eating um, well when when the situation about food and the siege started to really uh, you know affect people uh i'm talking about the bottom line which lasted like two years and there are a lot of reports online um from global organizations about uh, about this that people started to eat dead animals that those animals died from hunger too so you can see their pictures even online those people started to some of them they started to cook from uh things that it's not good for uh, human uh, you know digestive system it's not edible mm. at all it's not edible is this something that you experienced within your family what you guys had uh, to do fortunately not so much we had uh, exp we experienced things and uh, but not uh, not so much some other families just around again it depends on uh, how you can manage it's just matter of luck i guess also it's not like you can't do anything to survive or it's just mm. like you can get it or you cannot get it this day uh, your neighbor gave you something this for example we had a neighbor that got bombed and uh, suddenly he lost six children and his wife and his sister in just literally two seconds one bomb and that's it so this neighbor came to live with us for example so we share our you know we shared our food and he shared his for example transportation whatever it's just everything is changing there is no there was no pattern at all and um, i can remember some details for example we were trying to make coffee from uh, the seeds of the dates to pretend that we're drinking coffee it's not gonna be a coffee at all it's not related to coffee but because it gives the impression for uh, people that this is you know uh something like powder and it smells somehow like a little bit bitter like a turkish coffee or whatever mm -hmm. and the people are starting to cook also uh any leaves from the tree with water boiling it just to pretend for the younger uh kids that the mom is cooking or whatever but after all it's just water and it's toxic sometime and it, it was insane really it's like like you can read about it or see it in anywhere but i guess this is war everywhere but this this time in syria uh the power of social media and uh, uh the internet just made all these stories out so a lot of people were filming everything and documenting and they couldn't publish until maybe six years later or something so for us even who we managed to go out and some other people who are still there we were shocked twice one time when we were actually living inside 
And then when we go back to normal life in any other country or even city in Syria, and we see these things or we remember, it's insane. I mean, it just gives you goosebumps and nightmares and like how did we uh, survive how how we were okay kind of with this how we didn't lose our mind so a lot of details are out and a lot of other details unfortunately were just completely buried because the storytellers they're dead or they're uh, in unknown place but details you can go on uh, about uh, about food and about surviving, about uh, um, um, the mental effect, especially for uh, the moms. For me personally, the moms, through my mom and other moms, for, it was very, very uh, different from any other things because the mom had to deal uh, with a lot of different things, a lot more than anything. Of course, uh, the fathers, you know, were, crying and trying and they got killed more because they tried to move or whatever but the moms mentally i mean they um they had to deal with the newborn uh imagine you have a new child and you're introducing him or her to this like so that's when we were <laughs> talking before you s said that um you saw a mother holding a child's hand and that's all it was it was just a hand right yes from the from the bombing yeah so uh, this what, was what? happening often over like um, eight to nine years in in big cities and until now it's happening in the north by the way so again uh, some um, big bombs are destroying the whole building so this and is the still whole going on right yeah, now yeah, yeah. as we speak yeah yeah definitely yeah Yes, hospitals, anything, any building, and they will, the buildings will fall down on on the heads of uh, the people. So, so what did you say? Describe. Yeah, there was a big, uh, big uh, rocket actually, and uh, it hits the building, and that mm -hmm. building just went down on another building on the yeah. side, and uh, we didn't see it. We saw it like later on on a video. We heard it and we ran to it, but I mean, we didn't see the actual moment because we were like in a room. And then all you know the neighbors and they ran to to the place trying to rescue what can be rescued and uh, yeah you can um, we we saw a lot of uh, especially in the beginning we saw uh, parts that we didn't know okay is that a sleeve or is that a human part because um, we were not very much used to it unfortunately now or five years ago, or whatever, um, people got used to this stuff, of course. But I'm talking about the beginnings. It was really horrible. I saw uh, people fainting, of course, uh, from far away once they are reaching the location, or people even going crazy. I know some bright uh, friend, he was an engineer. He, he just lost his mind once, and he's unfortunately now... He's, um, he has a lot of mental issues and he lost his mind completely. He forgot everything just from seeing some of this. Even they were not relative. But um, back to the the event, we, we ran to the building and um, we saw just, you know, like ceilings above each other. And uh, we tried uh, uh, without any tools, without any anything, just, you know, to bring people out. And... Um, 
over like 20 dead bodies of course and then on the corner there was like a lot of dust and uh, everything and we saw that uh, a mom just like dead and uh, but you can see the body and holding hand and it's just one hand it's a child so we didn't know that okay that's a, a girl or that's a guy because you know dust and blood and everything and um, a lot of horrific scenes uh, aside from body parts especially when it's very emotional when you see for example um, a drawing book for a child or you see a toy uh, and you see the the kid next to it dead or you know um, and cats animals um, in in my city for example we raise a lot of animals because it's a little bit like countryside so we have a lot of cows um, chicken and everything so that and for for these people as you know uh, it means a lot to them it's not only like business or their life because yeah they live with it dogs and everything um unfortunately yeah they were all burned out with the with the trees with the um, and it's just six seven years every single day every kind of weapons sometimes barrels sometimes rockets sometimes rockets that didn't explode so after one month people are just driving uh, you know passing by this rocket that just went to the ground but it didn't explode and suddenly it will explode because the heat or so it was really um people just uh surrendered to the idea of life there it's not like they were desperate only but i mean surrendered that at some point there was no fear at all this is the environment and actually i can remember some days where there was no bombs for like five six hours straight it was very strange and very very uh everyone stopped doing everything they are just waiting for the bomb so they can continue like what's happening if there is no bomb like will be an earthquake or what's going to happen because those people again uh no internet no communication with the outside world so they don't know what is, they know that life is going by um, and unfortunately they were recording it i mean typing it like okay from friday 6 a.m to 8 a.m this like we will get few 20 25 big bombs and it's going to hit this area mainly but it was again all random and people had to move that's another tragedy move from one location to another and it's just luck. that's what they call internal displacement right um yeah you can call it uh, i'm talking now about the same city for example like uh, and the displacement happened between also big cities or small cities from the countryside you go to the um, um big city um, or the other way around it depends on the events but it was crazy enough that there was no safe place so you will see uh, big families are paying everything to try to get out from this area for example and after two months from them arriving to the new place the new place will have the same exact thing even though it was safe for for example three four years because a lot of parties were involved so after two months you won't know for example if your city were uh, were controlled by isis or other uh, uh, militias or other parties 
the names can go on and on. We have more than uh, 65 to 70 different parties. I mean, that's uh, after 2015. So it was really those people were just um, surrendering to the idea of fear. They don't care anymore. They're just trying to survive. If not, it's okay. That was the deal. And they, they, if they lose their children, they won't cry anymore because it's, um, it's regular. And again, for me, also affected me very much the, the babies or the young people. For example, one of my brothers, he was very young at that time and um, he was just in the second grade he just started the normal life so this happened and to put this kid suddenly like overnight without school without internet without any kind of communication and the brothers are running away from city to city and he lost a lot for example from aunties and uncles and uh, what's happening he's trying to to discover what's happening and then it will end up that uh this will be his lifestyle for like 10 years. So this person will be changed completely. Everything. So if you put him in a normal school, he won't fit in. If he, anything, is, he turns into an animal, unfortunately. Just instinct. I want to eat. I want to sleep. I'm dead. Now I have a father. Tomorrow I might not. It's just very simple um uh, how is your brother now? How is he? Um, actually, yeah, this? I had two, uh, three brothers. Uh, I still have. They're fine. Three of them now, uh, and uh, everyone is in different location mm -hmm. because, again, uh, some of the areas are controlled by different uh, parties. So, um, I can tell you that physically they are okay. They suffered from some injuries and from some, you know. Um, side effects of course but they recovered um, unfortunately the mental side it's really insane and this mm. keeps me on my toes all the time and everything can trigger for me when I remember uh, when I see a kid now in the, in the mall or child I just remember you know my brother like why this happened to him and uh, what what if and what if and what if so mentally they had different uh, side effects some of them they got more um, quiet like no personality or some uh, other uh, brothers they got more into uh, for example um, um, nightmares and uh, no food even food available for example was available in some other cities but it depends on what they saw and uh, they lost their uh, um, school, uh, you know, friends. And uh, it's just, and this hope, the disappointment that they felt at that age, it was horrific. Every age suffered in a Most of the schools closed down, is that Everything. right? Everything. The schools were bombed also and people were hiding in it, hiding in some other public uh, like hospitals they were, it was bombed and uh, how are the children being educated there was no education at all and is that the, currently the situation still no now now it's different the government went back to this city for example if i'm talking about my city around two years uh, ago but in the duration of six seven years it was just uh, volunteering from um, former teachers from some other uh, people that 
they wanted to just minimize the damage. There was awareness in so my. So there was no formal education, there was no schools open, no, 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 no. but there was teachers, pre like you it know, was very volunteers simple. coming together to yes. to educate the children. Yeah, try just to keep them little bit you know uh, i guess that's yeah. if the parents would allow them out the house right? yeah yeah that's another thing and the, that's why the mom here gets involved also to uh to teach in the house and there was no of course atmosphere for that at all imagine a mom with no walls uh around her house or uh and she just lost her son for example um one month ago and trying to teach her kid or whatever it was just very surreal all of it and the kids they don't want to of course to get education because they're very young and they are seeing this as action like what's happening oh airplane uh, pedal this one died and they come with excited and they think this is a game and they think they don't know at all that was also traumatizing for the parents and uh, so everything was really um, random and very very bad there was a lot of initiatives from some good people to keep the education and uh, um, the charity or the um, uh, even you know the healthcare also was uh, horrific too. There was no devices, no electricity. You know, I mean, uh, forget about the war. But if some person had anything, you know, any kind of disease, simple one, so people were dying more of just normal diseases because you can't find Panadol or you can't find uh, aspirin or any any other simple medicine. It's absolutely devastating to think how many children have been killed. I was trying to look for a figure here. No, no, um, just... But I don't have yeah. it here. It was like the United Nations had... Um, and Sorry, I, I don't have that figure in my head. I read it yesterday on a... Um, here it is. It's here. I can tell you. Yeah. you Since can 2011, mm -hmm. nearly 12,000 children were verified as killed or injured in Syria. You can. That's one child every eight hours over. You the can past multi 10 multiply years. this by ten minimum, and I'm responsible for what I'm saying. All the numbers you can you can see online. You can triple times it. that. Yeah, 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 definitely because those it's very hard to get any record or documents. Mm -hmm. I've seen and people can unfortunately see on YouTube uh, just families were burned out. So how can you know that 10 people were living here or 15 or 20 in this building or one or something? And as you know, as different parties were getting involved in countries, so every uh, every party from those they were taking these numbers and changing them to their benefits. Um, so the numbers you cannot rely on at all. We have more than uh, 200,000 to 300,000 people with names that they are lost for like from 2011. Were the children being targeted specifically or were they kind of killed? I don't know if this sounds callous, but generally as, mm. you know, kind of like, you know, with the gas explosions mm. um, or were the children being targeted by certain uh, It was, groups? they were targeted sometimes in other places, like when ISIS was uh, controlling some uh, major cities, uh, targeted by recruiting them, basically, and mm. uh, targeting them to stop uh, their education or controlling where they where they go but they were not uh, 
aiming directly like killing them but mm-hmm. they were going in general because they were everywhere children were everywhere uh, uh, they like to play out for example even there is a bomb or something they will run out like a cat if you try to whatever it is especially the uh, the very young kids you're talking about 10 years 11 years it's very hard to put them in a small place especially with the bombing and sound uh, and uh, uh, mothers are screaming in the neighborhood and uh, dogs are shouting and uh, there's no light at all and cold or hot or whatever so the kid will just run away it's absolutely devastating to think like the impact that this war is gonna have on on that generation yes and um i mean i remember once watching um uh, it was a clip on YouTube and or Facebook. I saw it, it went viral. You, you may have seen this. And in one side of the coin, when I saw this, it made me think, oh, that, I really like what that dad is doing. But on the other side of the coin, it was like, oh my gosh, maybe the child is not aware of it. But it was basically like a father. And I still think it was the right thing to do. There was the bombings. You could hear the bombings. And he was kind of reframing that sound to his children. Yes, yes. Almost that it was almost that it was a um it was a game. Mm -hmm. So that child is hopefully not going to have that fear inside of them and that anxiety when they hear noises like that in the future. And um I remember when I saw that I just thought, my God, that what an incredible thing to do. It made me think of Goodwill, not sorry, not Goodwill Hunting. Um, have you ever seen Pursuit of Happiness with Will yes, Smith? Yes, definitely. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, and there's a part in that movie um, that I just absolutely love, and it's when they were homeless for the night. Mm. Do you remember? Yes, yeah. And they were sleeping in the in the toilet, and he made it into an exciting thing. It was mm. a game. It was an adventure. So you know, because children are, you know. The subconscious mind up until the seven is still, you know, they're governed by that subconscious mind and by theta state. And um, yeah, yeah, I we, just we really actually, like that. Yeah, people and it kind of reminds me of that, that yeah. event. But the thing is, the difference here is the long-term tragedy. Like the mom can do this and the dad and the community, but for how long? If it's six, seven years or 10 in some cases, or even two years, it's very long. Um, if the parents are still alive or, you know, still in their uh, mental health, it's very hard. And I know also, uh, I experienced this, some, uh, uh, one of the neighbors were giving a birth and there was bombing around not on the building of course but it was very close and she was giving a birth and there was no uh body to help her her husband uh, was dead and uh, her other children are dead so she was alone and all other females uh, moms they went into the apartment to try and we were just sitting outside like young uh, guys trying to help with bringing water and some towels or whatever and this surreal five six minutes without any electricity very dark very very scary Uh, the kids are shaking i mean the kids around me and i was of course and the bombing is just like unfortunately it was like a music 
you know it comes from very far away and because of the major silence in the in the city and the darkness so you can see and imagine because there's no light at all so you can imagine and focus on the sound like it's coming and gonna hit this place or this other place so the the mom was giving a birth she was of course screaming and crying and and some of the other uh, um, um, women around her they were doing like uh, very traditional song clapping around her we can hear it from you know inside that they're trying to cover the bomb uh, sound because the bomb was very uh, uh, systematic it was on on a pattern like every 30 seconds or every 40 seconds so they were trying and, and they were crying and she was crying and we were crying and then the baby came and then survived uh and but i mean the the moment of it was like a music between uh, reality and between what should be happening or what should be reality like just safe environment and everything so that was also very surreal and uh, a lot of similar situations i can mention like hundreds that i saw myself away from what you see online and everything and i believe personally after experiencing this for around two years that all the content or the stories that went out it's not even 10 percent of what actually happened the volume the intensity it was too much and again a lot of uh, unique stories died with its people that's another also of things um i know for example another uh quick example that one of the rockets went down on some neighborhood this is in another city but i was there um people just running with an ambulance you know ambulance also by people and civil defense whatever left from them red crescent and everything around 20 people went to the place that was around 2012 not 11 and they ran into the place and this happened a lot but this is i saw i was there the same practice they were trying to pull the dead bodies or trying to uh, rescue people and they got bombed again this i mean the rescuers so i lost a very dear friend he was working in red crescent in this accident i i remember he said Khalid, let's go this is happening uh, just try to save some people and boom the same location was bombed twice with an ambulance. So all these ambulance and rescue and civil defense, they were dead, including my friend and some of our, and my And that relative. would have been very strategic, yeah? That's double, I mean, you can't imagine. They're doing that to yeah. kill the rescuers. Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. It's uh, the amount of hate uh, and the amount of, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but unfortunately for example after three hours i got to know that this my friend who just died trying to rescue people he was trying to uh, rescue his friend so um i i didn't know that probably he knew i i didn't know if he knows but probably he knew so he was trying to pull him even he was dead and he got like immediately after 10 minutes he died the same way so that created created a problem where 
people sometimes they they don't dare to you know go and trying to rescue other people that's another thing but again it depends many many different uh, people got really creative sometimes uh, of uh, uh, painting and uh, painting some messages on the roofs um, to the you know airstrike uh, uh, soldiers or other parties also uh, trying to make them laugh so they don't want for example to to bomb or whatever they tried to uh, in some other cities like Aleppo they used huge old buses to um, separate um, or t- to protect themselves from some snipers that was that was killing everybody that moves children ca- cats just for fun for example some and nobody knows who is this and so it was really um, the examples and the tragedy and our people to be honest syrian people in general they are very sarcastic and uh, funny so even this shows in the way uh, in the war but in a different way how long did it take for your your hometown to be devastated and to be completely wiped out i think around three years it was um recognized by the unesco that 91% of the of the city was completely destroyed 91 it's more like stalingrad you're talking about something i mean if you want to see images you can't see anything actually it's just pile of destroyed buildings there's and your parents are still there yes they moved around uh from town to town to, and that was also another thing some people you know wanted to move to another neighborhood but uh, they got lost and or they had to move to another city they're not able to come back or some families they're living in other people's house or it was very so surviving was just luck and random if you ask me it depends yes you can take measures but gosh yeah it's incredible isn't it uh, I to think that it's still going on as well. All this well, is still yeah, the capacity is right different now. now, but I'm talking about the real heat from 2012 to, I think, 17. Exposure to the conflict um, that's happening in Syria and the related brutality, it's had a massive, we've just been talking about this, a psychological impact on individuals. Um, so how are you coping now with all that you've seen and that you've witnessed? What impact has that had on you? Yeah, I I really had a uh, long time uh, trying to process and heal. And um, the first thing was surviving, of course. I managed, uh, luckily, to go out, of course, legally and everything. Um, at, yeah, first of 2013. So I experienced around two years there. And then I I came here uh, legally fine. I started from the scratch. But uh, of course, my mental was not able to process at that time because I wanted to, you know, first survive and feel stable a little bit. And then I started, of course, to experience uh, nightmares and uh, flashbacks and um, everything basically will remind you. If you're going to make a cup of tea, you will remember your family and or what happened. Because my tragedy ended at that time, but there didn't. 
and other also friends and families uh, in Syria, as you might know about the whole Arabic countries. You're talking about the guilt when you make a cup of tea, just yeah, yeah, simple yeah. little things like yes, that, yes. right? Uh, until now, yeah, you can have uh, this. Even if the tragedy ended, for example, uh, in some places or uh, to some people, but we, the Syrian people, were very connected in general as a community. And as you know, the Arabs in general are very family-oriented or, you know, big groups, so... Uh, me being 24 years old only at that time, uh, I can name 150 people easily that those are close from different cities or that close people, work or co-workers, university, like a lot will. So knowing a lot of people, it means knowing a lot of stories and a lot of, uh, you want to make sure that this uh, person is living fine and his family and so this huge amount of uh, uh, bad memories and visuals and news, it was very hard for someone young and it was really getting to me slowly. I tried, I recognized what happened and I tried to heal from um, the first moment. I knew that this is either is going to kill me or... I would be stronger. And I feel now after around maybe seven years or eight years that I'm, I, I'm very, very stronger. And the, these things motivated me very much to do different things, even without doing things the mentally, you know, to be aware of these things. And What do you like around noises? A lot of people that have experienced yes, sound, living in that mm, conflict, yes. they're very sensitive to noise. Yes. Until now, yes, uh, that's why I have now two cats because it was very, um, uh, not, I, I don't want to say scary, but it was very uh, different when I you know, live, uh, lived here alone and uh, you know the silence and something. It's like always you're waiting for something. So that motivated me, of course, to have more friends, to be successful at work, to try to build something for myself. It was kind of running away from these things. And you're saying you're waiting uh, for something. That yeah. waiting, it's almost you're living with the hormones of stress. All the you time. Because yeah. you were saying there was a time frame from when one bomb went off to the next bomb went off. We know the shifts. So you're yeah. almost anticipating it coming off. And you're All the time. Yeah. Now, if you crack. That stress hormone. Mm. was there a moment in your life when you left Syria when you moved to Dubai when you felt calmer and that you weren't living on the, with those hormones you weren't mm. kind of worried about what was going to happen next yeah actually um, around three years ago I started to feel like very much better more stable and uh, with involvement in art and uh, I uh, went back to university again that I lost because of the war so I got my master's degree and I was a little bit famous photographer I was exhibiting around the world so these things kept me busy uh, not only during the day but kept me busy in you know the background in my mind and gave me a way to express especially art so I was you know watching a lot of movies um, and uh, being very much interested in uh, history for example reading a lot so uh, the more I was reading and um, searching for example about some topics and studying uh, in the university the more I was okay with what happened 
I'm not okay. Of course, I mean that uh, you know, fine or good. But I was uh, realizing that you can't stop this. It's either you go insane, or you will just uh, survive and be stronger. And this is what I did. And it's it was not only from receiving, as I told you, like from for example, cinema or art or other. Uh, fields I started to actually practice on myself by going to meditation and uh, reading about the psychology uh, science in general and I started to get involved more in sport Uh, I changed my diet I changed people around me a lot I changed radically and many times until I guess I reached the best formula like around three years ago and I started to feel really really extremely happy to be alive and uh, I started to feel that okay I'm more kind now I'm more I'm more uh, appreciating every single thing about uh, um, life I was scared of cats for example but now I have two cats and uh, I'm helping them with birth and everything and uh, it's very unique and every time I remember myself like how can is that the same Khaled is that that the war really affected or if you want, uh, it build, built me, you can say. Because without war, I might just be regular guy, which is fine. I don't I don't wish to anybody to experience 1% of what uh, me and others experienced. But uh, the mental was very, very heavy. It's interesting. Because I think I mentioned to you this to you last time we spoke. I was listening to a podcast. There was a guy called Justin Sean, and he was talking about surviving the Syrian war. Mm. He was talking about two things, the traumatic stress, Mm -hmm. which is what we've just spoken about. Um, But also another thing he spoke about was traumatic growth, which I think is Mm -hmm. what we've just spoken about as well, in that you can grow within your trauma, which is what you've just described and Mm. that you've done really you know despite all the atrocities that you've witnessed um losing your family seeing your city being devastated and you know your country being devastated you know you've managed to to take that trauma and grow from it through art through sport and through developing yourself professionally yes Yes, that's actually really uh, motivated me to the point that I can't see myself as a person without these experiences. Mm, Because it's made you who you are. Yeah, yeah. And before the war, uh, I was very much involved in reading about history and this big war events that changed the face of the earth. You know, I was like at that time and my environment for example and my age it was very rare and i don't know why i was just interested in this instead of playing you know normally with the kids i was playing with the kids i'm not like but i mean uh for some reason i was just interested in um the european history like everything from like 2000 years ago reading about religions reading about history and I was more into this and not only from books, as I told you, sometimes from cinema, documentaries, uh, the internet when it uh, it came out. So that also, I think, gave me the base of accepting that this can happen. I was not like, oh, my God, what is this? This uh, uh, this is insane. It cannot be happened. I was in my mind somehow. And I believe that 
uh, this helped me. And this is the first time, by, way, uh, by the way, I say this. <laughs> I mean, it's not a secret, but now I'm realizing that this really helped me building a base of accepting that if you if you read it and if it happened in other countries uh, 600 years ago or it will happen here and there and almost every country had the same situation yeah yeah that's interesting and it's also been said I, I, i'm not sure who who said this but it was some newspaper article um, I think maybe it was the United Nations, possibly, or it might not be that basically what's happening right now in Syria um, is very similar to what happened in World War II. Mm. It's the worst disaster, man-made disaster or something since in World the 20, War II. 21st century, yeah. And um, I remember when I first heard you speak and talking about your story and, and what you'd witnessed, it made me think of the Holocaust a mm, lot because mm. that's something that I've researched in a lot. Only in recent years as well, that I became quite fascinated with everything that happened. Yeah, because in, there was chemical the weapons, mm -hmm. as I told you before, and there was uh, people dying from you know, and fire. The, and the lightning, what's... The... the making comparisons with what's happening in mm. Syria with the Holocaust. Can you relate to that? Um, I can, yes. In some areas um, that was happening about, you know, differentiating some group of people from other group of people, as we also, ISIS, were killing other uh, um, races, for example, the Kurds and uh, other groups. And uh, this is kind of... You know, it, it relates to what happened in the Holocaust, uh, even mentally by not accepting the others at all and trying to be extremely brutal just to demolish everything related mm -hmm. to them. And not only uh, about killing, you know, people, it's about removing their traces. That was major demographic change. And it's still happening now in a different pace. But it happened in many different uh, cities, as you uh, said in the beginning Syria is full of uh, culture and history it's like 7,000 years old uh, culture one of the oldest capitals in history Damascus um, the the damage the other damage from killing and everything every party was controlling some region for example and ISIS as a, an example uh, they just uh, removed and destroyed uh, things that are uh, thousands years old and it means so much to culture and to the whole world if you can go to the UNESCO website you can see the list of uh, these locations in Syria and in Aleppo for example every almost every city so that was another um, thing that can uh, relate maybe to uh, what happened in the World War II that some group of people believed that they should remove the other group and this happened a lot. And now b practically about, you know, gas or whatever, that happened also. But of course, a little bit, it's not like the same, but it happened for the same reason, eliminating uh, big groups based on religion, based on political um, opinions. And um, there was barrels, there was gas, there was chemical, other uh, weapons, liquid, um, everything that you can, uh, or the... Uh, people or human unfortunately can use they it's been used in in syria 
I would expect you've to come you've come across Victor E. Frankel's work in mm. your research. Yeah. Have you read his book? Not really, no. Oh. I should. <laughs> I, I can't should. I can't actually I, I started to write something long time ago, but I um realized that I can't really go on now. It's not the right time for me to write because I started, you know, to go deep into details. Read this book, mm. you know. Do you I mean, guarantee my mental uh, safety? I don't know. If I, because, you know. It's one uh, yeah. of the, and I think it will resonate with you massively. Yeah. I, I read actually A something. Man's Search for Meaning by Victor I will, e. Frankl. I will. Yeah, you make, will share this definitely with me. Definitely make that your next read. And you never know, it might inspire you in the future to put pen to paper as well. Yes, yes. But basically, well, the book, it's his account of the three years that he spent in a Nazi death camp. Hmm. And it's his account of his spiritual survival within that camp. And... He had no idea when he went to the death camp. He had no idea if his pregnant wife at the time was still alive, mm. right? He Obviously, when they get to the camp, you get put in the left and you get put in the right. And I think it was if you're in the left, you were sent straight to the gas chambers mm. or may have got the L and the left and right mixed up there. But I think his wife pretty much died as soon as she got to the camp. This book is all his account of his spiritual survival and it's just so positive on how he managed to remain so positive amidst yeah. all the destruction and the devastation that was going on around him and i'm going to read you a quote from there and it's my favorite quote and he says that my mind still clung because he didn't know whether or not his wife was dead or alive and he said my mind still clung to the image of my wife a thought crossed my mind. I didn't even know if she was still alive. I knew only one thing. Love goes far beyond the physical person of the beloved. It finds its deepest meaning in his spiritual being, his inner self. Whether or not he is actually present, whether or not he is still alive at all, ceases somehow to be of importance. I didn't know whether my wife was alive, and I had no means of finding out. But at that moment, it ceased to matter. There was no need for me to know. Nothing could touch the strength of my love, my thoughts, and the image of my beloved. Set upon me like a seal upon thy heart. Love is as strong as death. Yeah. Yes. Um, of course, the war is the most uh, tragic thing that we human unfortunately practice so much and the thing is this was his actually this was his second manuscript of that book because mm. he'd started writing this book and he took it to the the camps within i believe i believe um, i do get a little bit mixed up and i read so quickly sometimes that i forget things but i think this was the second draft the first draft mm. got um got taken away or whatever okay. he lost it in, in the in the concentration camp or something like that um but yeah um and i think those words to me because i wrote a meditation on grief and loss and um you know and i think if you've ever lost anyone if there's anyone out there listening to this that has ever left lost anyone that's close to them those words can give you 
they can help you. Those yes. words can yes. help you. Because it doesn't matter whether or not that person's still alive. The love within your heart. It's different definition for the things. Can still be alive. Yeah, for they love can and still care. stay alive within you, within your heart. I lost my grandfather a few years ago, and when I meditate, and I think of an event. I remember once when I went to see him, and um, and I was knocking on the door, and I he had a wooden wooden floorboard and I could hear his feet mm. you know there's certain little things mm. you can hear I used to be able to hear his feet walk down and I know he used to prolong the walk deliberately because mm. he was so excited about seeing me and I was so excited about seeing him um, because I used to live in Liverpool and he lived like two and a half hours away so whenever I used to go down and see him I'd knock on that door and I could hear him and he'd, he'd, he'd deliberately go slower because he wanted yeah. it to be like really <laughs> special. And then he'd open the curtains as well because there was a uh, a glass door and I couldn't see him come because the curtains, if it was on an evening, the curtains would be closed. And then he'd open those curtains. And there was one moment when I went to see him and I remember that he, you know, we just hug each other and he just gave me this hug that lasts forever and ever. And so when I meditate in my grief and loss meditation, I think of this event when I knocked on the door and I hear my granddad's footsteps and then I, I hear him, I feel him hug mm. me and then I just repeat that feeling over and over again and it's almost like he's still here, he's still alive. Yeah, yeah. it gets you, this is also another topic, but it gets you, I mean, these horrific events of losing someone but or memory, it gets you to another These stories things. of survival, I yeah. wouldn't say it was... Is it another topic? Because it's just a strategy. No, I, I mean the topic is that these things, it might get you mentally to uh, another topics which are, you know, interesting. Like uh, I was also uh, really interested in space, for example, believing about these things through meditation, imagination, and then you imagine, you know, sometimes, for example, you are sitting in the room and you just hear um, just random sound and you don't know if it's from the refrigerator or the TV or something like why this happened so you start to think about dimensions and like you said uh, the person is dead but his maybe you know like uh, I mean the possibility and the presence and the yeah, love yes, yes. still lives the on emotions inside you are it's different. the emotion yes. yeah you can still feel even though the person's no longer here or you know you're no longer with your parents you could still, I guess, you could still think of maybe happy times that you had when you yes, were together yes. as a family. And it's more because you don't have them around. I mm. mean, for some people who, uh, you know, they, they might not experience this because, okay, they are living with them, okay, every day. So you're expecting, for example, to see uh, your grandpa or your uncle every day. So that's fine. But this long term of being away and remember... Uh, forced to be away i mean you didn't choose to go out for example uh, to get a better life only it, the whole situation is out of uh, these people's control so how often do you speak to your parents now now uh, just like two years ago uh, the communication the situation in my city uh, got better that's very good and uh, we started to build everything from the scratch 
talking um, I can talk to them almost yeah, every two three days I can uh, practically but the thing how is how do you communicate with them um, do they have internet there now it's hard they do but it's hard now you call uh, them yes sometimes but the main point is that once I really you know was uh, like seven years or whatever waiting just to call them once I had the ability to call them I didn't because I don't know where to start I don't know what what do I talk about you know especially me for example being here and doing um, just regular life and safely like I was thinking too much of okay what should I say like hi how are you fine great okay what's what's next because everything will be different those people became strangers unfortunately because of the time they aged I aged but in a different way and the war is the war time is different and me also thinking about them and other people in the war time also is different I'm not talking about seven years okay for them it might be hundred years for me it's relative so that's another um, side effect of being disconnected for example for from someone you love or you relate to that after all this uh, disconnection how do you start I mean if I can talk to my family for example now I would be very shy for example if I have a chance to see them on video or something I would not to be honest I want to but I can't I don't know I'm a different person they are different completely now and knowing what they experienced and knowing me now everything you will think about all the details this might look offensive maybe even the the glasses or the haircut if i have a clean face it might be offensive to these people or you know this is what you feel all the time so it's really what was your relationship like with your parents it was normal before the it war. was fine were uh, you close to them um i was not normal i can't say close we didn't have uh, i mean uh, I can tell you that I was a little bit different from my brothers, different in a way that I wanted different life or different uh, things to do instead of just getting to the normal pattern of, you know, um, uh, doing the military service, then getting married and have a normal job or whatever. So that created some verbal um, uh interesting topics all the time uh, discussions and uh, debate and we were completely different mental mentally but i was of course living with them everything was perfect there was um, no major problem at all um and then uh, after the war again everything changed i got to do what i was dreaming about but unfortunately they were not able for example to see it or experience it or something so that's uh, again another topic differently that if those people forget about me for a second if some people are disconnected in sweden now syrian people in germany and um, even if they are connected i know for a fact that they don't know what to talk about if they if they have a chance to talk to yeah and i think what you're describing is probably not uncommon with a lot of families mm. regardless of where you live or what's been going on you know I'm just thinking of especially when you move away I'm just thinking of my situation with my 
father. Mm. I mean, I can completely relate to what you're saying too, but I also do think that we need to make that effort. Yes, yes. And in it, rather than think about, it's not about us, it's about them, right? Because I, I know that speaking to my dad like consistently every week, and that was one regret with my nan and granddad. When I moved to Dubai, I remember saying to myself, I'm going to write to them every Sunday. I want them to get a letter consistently off mm. me every Sunday. And I never stuck to that. And I tried to do it with my dad the other day. I was like, a few months ago, I was like, right, I want to speak to you every Sunday. And... And you're right. It's like, well, what do you talk about? But sometimes, and we do speak a lot more. We haven't stuck to the every Sunday. Um, but sometimes it's like, even if you just speak about nothing, even if you just say hello, surely that's better than nothing, right? Yeah, it, it I happens. Think mm. You speaking to your parents might mean a lot more to them. Yes. Than I, maybe it's yeah. to you, possibly. No, no, right? definitely. You're right. I got your point, and it's happening. I talk to them and everything, but I'm, I'm just saying, I'm pointing out the, uh, the side effects. Of, you of, feel of guilty, this. right? The fact that yeah, you're, that's that you're thing. having good yeah. food over here. I yes. remember last time we were speaking. It's like, you know, everything's about, you know, done over dinner. Like, oh, what you're having, what you're eating, and stuff yes, like yes, that. And, and until now, yeah. now as I told you that my family, for example, or my city is now uh, outside of the war zone. I mean, there is no bombing now. There is no... It's it's okay now. Okay. But, but this, uh, that was two years ago, mm -hmm. until now. But again, until now, when I speak to them and I want to speak to them, I want to talk, for example, because they will, will ask, of course, how are you? What are you doing? What's up? If, if it's a normal conversation, I can't tell them about my achievement because this, I mean... Because my, my normal breakfast, it's an achievement for them. Uh, me having a car, they might pass out, for example. Literally, I'm speaking literally because the war ended there, but the side effects of the war didn't. Now they are living in a situation economically and mentally worse than uh, what was happening in the war. The killing stopped there. But uh, now everything is insanely expensive. So the things we take for yeah. granted, like having a car, not many people will have a car now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm telling you about uh, there is no banana, there is no bread, there is no nothing at all, uh, just now. Mm. And this is all, again, because of some political relationship between the big countries or whatever. But those people who survived the war now in Syria and some other people, by the way, in different cities who didn't, uh experienced the bombing or something some cities they were fine in general um and they didn't experience this destruction but they are suffering with these people too until now that everything is insanely expensive and everything is hard to get the electricity is very hard to get the water all these basics so now talking to them like no matter how you can avoid it but for them, maybe if they're seeing your picture that it's clear and behind you it's a clean wall or, you know, everything uh, you will think about twice before talking to them. Mm -hmm. You left Syria and you moved to Dubai. The general consensus is that to flee war and conflict zones that you need lots of money, you need connections. Many, mm -hmm. which you obviously are assuming that you had, which is why 
you manage to get safely to Dubai. Many civilians don't have that, which means they're not able to flee. Um, is this the case? Is it only the connected and those with money that can not actually at all, get no. out? I came to Dubai with $70 without any luggage. $70, no phone, no nothing at all. I have my passport, my visa. I paid everything I had, which is nothing. I mean, you're talking about maybe three, 400 dirhams. That's the cost of the visa there. But in Syria, it was big money. So I had to sell you know, everything, computer, my computers, my bicycle, my everything. And I borrowed from some people. Um, and I had a help from uh, a friend who was staying here. And he invited me for a visa, visit visa. And I started from scratch. He he bought me food, he bought me um, clothes, everything. $70, I had 50 and 20. And I have them at home until now. I didn't spend them because, yeah. because this is all what I got. Nothing. One jeans, one t-shirt, nothing at all. Not even keys. Not uh, And uh, so it's not related to money at all. And um, um, the evidence uh, for that, that you can see in 2014 13 15 also the amount the millions that you mentioned in the beginning that they were swimming without also any any luggage and all of them are pregnant uh, ladies and families all people with diseases children they were just swimming to europe or other countries without anything no money nothing at all and uh, a lot of people also they collected the whole fortune and everything they had back in Syria. They tried, you know, they they uh, tried to sell their, you know, properties, anything that is valuable. And then in one day, for example, they got robbed in Turkey or Lebanon or other countries from some smuggler, and they're just they had to come back without anything, or they continued and they died on the way. Or it's so it's not money. It's kind of luck and um, yeah I think everything is related to luck in this specific tragedy it's it's interesting where you said you felt that you were different to your brothers mm. um, and I don't think that's uncommon I've always felt different yeah, yeah, yeah. you know quite you know I look at both my parents and I'm absolutely no disrespect to any of them I love both of them dearly I love all my family members dearly but it's almost like where did I come from yes yes I feel very different very different to my brothers and even my twin sister even though I can see similarities in us all mm. but it's almost like you know it, it it's weird um so, like my question was like you migrated many haven't what was different to you than others what was different for me but maybe that mm. i think you maybe you're sorry for jumping in you may have answered that maybe it's just that you had a desire to experience yeah, yeah this in is life, as right? i mentioned to you before the war i wanted to go out you of wanted Syria. to leave yeah, yeah for you me wanted to before the war yeah more. and on the other hand also i know some people in that includes my family members but not the direct one for example some cousins or whatever they had a chance, but they don't want to, for example, because the idea of, you know, homeland also, it's different. And uh, the skills, for example, the people who wanted to uh, leave their countries, if Syria or any other country, by default, they will be starting to live it without, you know, f flying. 
<laughs> yet without traveling they will live like okay i'm in a different country so they will start to build their skills and try to learn a different language and try to be different or whatever so they can go out but it depends on many many different things what are you grateful for about your experiences what can you take from what's happened to you to now and be grateful for um i'm grateful um about what do you appreciate the most music mm. music actually helped me a lot and reading um in the war and like you mentioned this i read very similar book uh, from a romanian uh, author who lived also in the world war Two called the mm. uh, the hour 25 that uh, book uh, it was like 400 pages and i was reading it you know between the bombs and everything and it was really like about this and it was more I think I'm grateful for this book because it really mentioned like 90% of what happened to me later on. And I was reading it as a story and then that really uh, made what happened to me later on easier because I was just being extremely shocked and surprised like, oh my God, this is what happened to him. It's happening to me. It's the same but different names, different country. This guy was Romanian and he got stuck between different uh, uh, areas and he lost also his family. Then he went back, then the German catched him. So he had to, f to for example, uh, to serve in their army. Then uh, Romania was uh, uh, liberated from the Germans. So the uh, Russian took him. So he was soldier in, in uh, Russian uh, forces and they were fighting. Uh, and he lived in the camps, concentration camps, the working uh, people, and he got injured many times. And after all of this, they got him because he, they lost uh, they lost his papers and they um, told him, you're a Nazi because you served there. It's insane. I mean, it's just, he was just all over the place and uh, um, you can't believe it. And now I'm just remembering this book and uh, I think I'm really grateful for this. Uh, book even this guy you know he's dead like 30 40 years ago but this gave me the base again uh, this small knowledge or um, small readings give me the base of accepting that this will happen I didn't uh, come from uh, the playground to experience the war or something I was somehow mentally a little bit prepared mm. and what I took is uh, that's the other question is um, it's a strength it's your choice to fight uh, I'm not talking from the point that I'm strong I'm still healing I will be healing my friends helped me a lot uh, here and uh, also back in Syria for example my family and uh, even some people that not related you know so what I got is it doesn't matter uh, humans with everybody has a different uh, traumas and uh, but you can you can really um, make fun of it after all I think and you can uh, this is what I do I made I, I make jokes about it to my friends and close people I really do and about myself for example uh, it's like roasting even roasting me or roasting what happened to me just taking out that I should be okay with it because two three years I was not talking about it and trying not to hide but even with myself I collapsed many times do you not think yeah. that making fun of it is that not maybe masking some of the pain you're experiencing as yeah well? yeah 
but it's somehow for me it's like recycling it mm. for me somehow i don't know the definition in psychology even though i uh, of course i talked to some uh, psychologists and other interested people in in such story but um, again i don't think there is uh, a precise or certain thing that will work for everybody and i don't know now now i'm okay sitting on the couch table I might now uh, scream in the elevator just for fun or uh, I don't know, side effect, I don't know. But um, I I took that uh, you should build up yourself as much as you can. I don't want to sound inspirational because I'm not. But I mean, um, build up yourself by appreciating everything around you and just thinking from time to time how to be flexible and living in different environment and different people different cultures and the more the more you know the more uh, you can you know uh, be flexible and i i think this is a strength of being flexible and this is what i took like after i experienced all of this you put me in any situation now i have no problem um not because i'm smart not because i'm strong because um that's it i think until now i i had a very huge and intense experience so anything it would so be it's fine made you, it's yeah. made you more i remember when we were speaking before and you were saying that it's um made you more kind of tolerant like there's people around you get so yes. worked up about tiny little things yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the delivery person not yes, coming on yes. time even in, in syria somebody by the way, cutting yeah. in front of you in traffic yeah, yeah even in syria when i moved to another cities during the war uh damascus itself for example i was just visiting there because i i was studying and working there uh in the bus i i saw just uh, one guy just complaining about how hot the weather is and it's ruining his uh, tie or whatever and i was just coming you know from all the horrific things and we are from the same country same language same everything so i i, I thought about it really like it's just 30 kilometers different how i mean how and why and what and what for this is all happening and who chose this and who chose that and who chose me to be here and who chose him and uh, and some other also cities they were partying in in some cities and they can hear the bombing for example so also a lot of community uh, problems happen that those people they should be compassionate and the other people will say no they should life should carry on and da 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 so a lot of uh, uh, different things but yeah I, I still pay uh, attention to myself that I'm very tolerant like um, not as a normal person like uh, people can be annoying uh, for example around or I might get uh, I lose something I will be fine you're thinking about trying to take this to Netflix, your experiences? Yes, actually, that's my dream. And I think it's part of healing also. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, I was realizing uh, recently that this story in general should go out by details. And um, I'm trying to communicate with not necessarily Netflix, you know, any major network. I'm uh, trying to target uh, the non-Arabs because for us it's you know we live in it all the time I mean the whole Middle East mm-hmm. uh, by even listening so it won't be is this uh, something you can do right now or would you not have to wait until the war's finished um, actually since I'm going to talk about my 
experience so I can do it. Yes. Okay. Um, and I want to talk about it not from uh, like what happened in terms of, you know, uh, events only. About the psychological background and uh, uh, it's not about the major event. Again, war happened in many different countries but um, I think that I felt something really, really different and changed me so much and I lived different lives and uh, different styles and I survived when I believe I didn't it changed my beliefs it changed every aspect in in me you know mentally and physically and everything so I don't want to show it as a documentary like hi my name is Khaled this happened uh, I think be- the story has love uh, story in it uh, family uh, faith None, f- not faith. Uh, um, the home uh, concept, a lot of different things. The the education, um, uh, being smart, being not. Um, I mean, the whole elements of of uh, interesting story. I guess it's there. So I would like to see it as a drama TV. It's not, and it's not about me again, but. It's my story because I, you know, lived these things so I can um, mention it um, accurately. But again, it's uh, better in my opinion to be as a TV show because it's very dramatic and it has uh, uh, comedy, tragedy. It, it's very rich, full of details and uh, so better than, you know, documentary and just making people... Well, I really look forward to that. And I look forward to you you making your dream a reality. And I'd just like to say to you, like, you know, well well done for everything that you've achieved since coming to Dubai. Because I know it hasn't been easy for you when you first got out here and you arrived here with $70. Yes. You were living with your friend and it was a couple of years before you actually got work, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Then when you did get work, you were literally earning a few hundred pounds a month less than that uh, sometimes uh, for free just to get to know people and to know because that was the the case but yeah i started uh, because you literally I, there was started no other with yeah. nothing and you've worked your way up and you a stable job now and you're yes. you've also you're wildly known for your photography which has really been mm. a hit and really been a success yes and i'm teaching also photography teaching uh, social media also sometimes to kids sometimes to um, companies so yeah I'm pretty much involved in a lot of things now mm-hmm. and uh, I'm very happy uh, and I'm happy experiencing the healing process that might take lifetime but uh, I'm happy where I am and I think I'm gonna do more and achieve more and I think these all these events really shaped the way I think and I act on a daily basis Mm-hmm. okay thank you so much thank you Zari. and good thank luck you. with your healing and your journey in the future and, and everything thank you so much for your time today Khaled thank you thank you anytime